All right, this morning I want to talk to you about walking in the newness of life. Most Christians have yet to discover that the Christian life is not difficult to live. It's just impossible. And the harder you try to live your life for God, the more frustrated you'll become. Most Christians have reduced godliness to a formula. That formula is more right behavior, less wrong behavior, then it will reach to godliness. But here's what happens. When we strive to sin less, we don't. The bad thing is we jump into this uh, hamster wheel and it causes us to lose hope that anything will ever break through and we'll get on top of this Christian life. We feel weary. A lot of us feel empty. And sometimes we feel alone. And our hearts cry out, I'm tired I'm tired of performing. I'm tired of pretending. Life just isn't working, and I'm just tired of it. And I feel completely frozen, and I'm freaked out about how it's all going to end. We look for answers, and some look for the church. They look at the church because maybe they were brought up as Christians, And so they've come to the place that the reality of the Christian life doesn't seem to be working either. So it's a wonderful opportunity that we have here at Grace Bible. I believe that um, we're here to help people see and hear the good news that God doesn't, doesn't want you to live your life for Christ. He wants you to let Christ live his life through you. That's what he wants. I mean, what is it? Only about 5% of the population go to church on a regular basis? God has graciously shown us how to appropriate the life of Christ that is our life that is hidden with Christ and to explain it in a very simple way biblical manner. I can remember when I heard that I was born a self-centered rebel against God and I was, I didn't understand it, but when it was explained to me that that, uh, I was this rebel against God and that I was now in Satan's hands and I was in the in the hands of the world and everything. I didn't understand all of that stuff. But then I heard, when I was 23 years old, I heard that I could be born again. And that God would recreate me into his image. Now that sounded really appealing because I was having a lot of problems up here. And I thought, well, that that, that would be great if that would really happen. And so I took that that I t- 
took that seriously and the invitation was given and I gave my, my life to Christ. And then through for years I would, I would ask God, if, if you're really recreating me in your image, could you pick up the pace? You've heard me say that before. Could you just pick up the pace? Because I'm getting weary, I'm getting tired. Going through the same battles year after year after year. And then I heard about this, this whole idea that what happened when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, I went through an exchange life with Christ. That Christ took my old life and he gave me a new life. And my real identity now, that if I believed it, if I accepted that, my real identity would be my birth. And so I could look back and at my rebirth and find out who I really was. When I discovered that, when God pointed that out to me, my life changed forever. God says that the old self died and a new resurrected life was given to you and that I was holy even though the world wouldn't agree with that, and I'm not sure I did at the time. If I were to ask you, are you holy, what would you tell me? You might say, well, I think I believe it because you've said it enough times, and, or maybe um, I believe it because that's what the Bible says. But I'm not sure that I really believe it because I don't act holy. And that's my problem. That's my issue. I want to believe it. I really do, but I, I just don't act holy and I can't, I can't see it. Even though the Bible says that you not always act holy, but the Bible says you are. So let's look at it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, I've read that hundreds of times, and it really didn't mean that much to me, uh, because whenever I talked about the temple, I always talked about it in terms of health, taking care of your body and everything. But here it says, do you not know? And obviously they didn't know. Because the question Paul said, do you not know? That you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. So the Bible says that you are holy whether you believe it or not, that's what the Bible says. So whom do you believe? Do you believe what the Bible says about you to be true? Or do you believe, or are you going by your feelings, how you feel? I don't feel holy. Well, the Bible says you've already made it with God. You are holy. But God says more than that. He says that you are complete. And so the Bible tells us 
And in him you have been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority. So the Bible says that you are holy and that you are complete in Jesus Christ. But this morning I want to focus on the nature of your heart. You see, this is important if we are going to understand how we walk in newness of life. So, it's learning the nature of your heart and then living according to your heart. Many Christians believe that they have a wicked heart. And there are many texts in the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New, that would indicate that you have a wicked heart. And I've heard sermons on it. But there's one important thing that they forget to tell you. And that is, those texts are not talking about a person who was born again. It's talking about unbelievers. It's never talking about somebody who was born again. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Bible is saying that the word of God, the Bible, is able to tell the intentions of the heart. So, we need to find out what the Bible says about that. Here is in the Word of God. We want to look and see what the Bible says about the unbeliever's heart. And here it is in Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So, In Romans, the Bible says that God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. They were not born again. They were full of lust. And so he gave them over to them. He gave them their choice, and they chose. And when you read the book of Romans, you find out that wickedness begins with sexual impurity. Now, why would that book start with all that? And then it proceeds to sexual perversion. And I don't know if you knew it or not, but in in Rome, at the time that Jesus walked upon the face of this earth, 70% of the men were bisexual. 70%. And so, Romans ends up not talking about the sexual sin, but the heartlessness and the animosity of believers. Of unbelievers, I should say. In other words, these people have had hearts of stone. The Bible says that we lust after the heart. In 2 Peter, it says in 14, having eyes full of adultery that never ceased from sin. That doesn't talk like, it's not talking about a believer, is it? It's talking about an adulterer that never ceases from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, and accursed children. It's not talking about a believer. 
is talking about an unbeliever. This is not the gospel. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God did something to your heart. The Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. So you are different. And I can tell you one thing. That you will never, never be the same once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's an impossibility. You may have heard stories of people who went to church for years and then all of a sudden they just left it all. They were never born again. A born again believer is born again. You can't get unreborn. You are born again forever. Now you may be confused. There's a lot of people out there that are totally confused about how God works within them. And I believe that most of us, when the first time we've heard about this whole thing about Christ living in you, it was confusing to us. It certainly was confusing to me. So, Ephesians 4.18, the Bible says this, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. Not believers. Unbelievers. This is an unbeliever's heart. And that's why it leads to us here at Grace Bible to one of our favorite texts has become our favorite text, and that's Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The real issue is your heart. That's the real issue, the condition of your heart. Here is what happens to everyone who's accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They have invited Christ to come into their life. When they did that, he came in. As all he was waiting for was the invitation. Whether you were 7, 8, 9, or 10 years old, or whether you were 70 or 80, it doesn't make any difference. When you ask him to come into, into your life, he came in. Now, you may not have understood at the time, and most of the young people don't. They don't understand exactly what takes place when Christ comes into your life. But, these, but the truth is, whether you understood it or not, he came in, he took your heart of stone, and he removed it. And he gave you his heart. Why? Why did God do this? If God was going to dwell in you through the Holy Spirit, he had to clean house. He had to clean his house. And when he did that, he took all of your sins and he buried them into the depths of the sea. And as we know, he remembers them no more. They're all forgotten. So he cleaned you up and he gave you a new heart at your core. Now, we still have the power of sin that dwells within the body. And so at the end of time, when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to give us a new body that matches 
that already perfect and complete heart that was given to you when you accepted him as your personal savior. Now that's what took place. And the Holy Spirit came in and he dwells within you. You have the fullness of the deity in you. You don't have to look for any experience with the Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit that you can possibly possess. And you've had it the moment that you invited Christ into your life. Now, in Romans 6.17, it says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, so you were in Adam, you were a slave of sin, you become obedient from the heart. Listen, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. You have a perfect heart. Now, I know that there are a lot of concerns about, in the last 15 or 20 years, there have been a lot of concerns about all this preaching about grace, 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 and more grace. And those people that are concerned, what they want to know is, where does obedience come in? Well, it comes in here. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. That heart transplant that you received was pure as pure can be. And you became obedient from the heart. There is no contradiction here in the scripture. We are saved by grace. And through grace we received a new heart. And we became obedient to that heart. When we sin... We are going against our heart. A born-again believer does not want to sin. We sin because of the power of sin. But the born-again believer doesn't really want to sin. And that's why when he does sin, he feels terrible about it. He's saying, why? What's wrong with me anyway? And he listened to the flesh And that's what happens when we listen to the flesh. In Galatians 4, 6, the Bible says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now, that ought to tell us something. We have Christ's spirit in our hearts. We cry, Abba, Father. Now, I don't know about you, but I can only relate a lot to myself. I cannot tell you how many times I have wept before God, calling upon the Father, weeping. There's something about when God gave us that new heart that causes us to be dis- totally dissatisfied with sin. And although we do sin, we don't like it when we do it. Paul says in the letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.5, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Well, who has a pure heart? You do. You do. 
The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Who has a good conscience? You do. Who is sincere about their faith? You are. And that's what the Bible says. Now, you may not feel it, but that's what the Bible says. That's who you are. You have a pure heart. You have a good conscience. And you have a sincere faith. And that's why you're here this morning. So what is the bottom line? Well, the bottom line is this. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You mean to tell me as a pastor that I should, what, trust this text? I spent four years visiting churches in West Virginia, as I've told you before. And I've heard some good sermons about grace because, in, in fact, there's one place down there in West Virginia that's called the Grace Place. And I've been there several times, and, and uh, I love the preacher there. I know him now, and I love him and everything. Um, and, but there's, there's something I've noticed here. I could almost tell just by sitting in the pew, I could almost tell what the problems was in the church. For example, if they were short of funds, if they were not meeting their, 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 their budget and everything, and I can remember the first time I heard a preacher down there, I can remember when I was a young preacher, and they told me that I was to preach four times a year on tithing. And I thought to myself then, why would I do that? And the, the answer was, is that, you know, that, People sometimes say uh, they kind of drift away from it. And so you need to preach about it. And then, of course, the best thing to use is the Old Testament, Malachi, and, and make them really feel guilty by telling them they're robbing God. You know, that, that, that would do it. That would bring the funds back in. So four times a year you speak about that. Well... Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. And I'm supposed to put pressure on people. I'm supposed to put pressure on people to give. I'm supposed to put pressure on people to go out and witness. I'm supposed to do all of this. And I wondered then, why am I supposed to do that? Why am I supposed to? Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Grace living is grace giving. It supersedes everything else. Now, in 1 John 3, 4, or 321. It says, Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I love that scripture. If our hearts does not condemn us, we can trust our heart. 
we can trust our heart. We already know that our heart is pure. That's what the Bible says. We do not have a wicked heart. I mean, there's not two of us inside of us. There's not two selves. There's not two hearts. We have Christ in our heart. Greater is he that is within than he that is in the world. Satan is not in. We don't have two hearts. We don't have two selves. We have one heart, and that heart was given to us the moment we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, and it's a good heart, it's a pure heart, and we can trust our heart. We can trust it. Now, the one who calls you to a life of righteousness is the one who by your consent lives that life of righteousness through you. The one who calls you to minister to the needs of humanity is the one who, by your consent, ministers to the needs of humanity. The one who calls you to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature is the one who, by your consent, goes into the world and preaches the gospel to every creature. Now, your world at the moment is here in Front Royal, Virginia. And you're called to trust Christ not only for the death he died to redeem you, but also for the life that he lives and waits to live through you. When you trust Christ, when you allow him to live through you, the very next step you take will be a step taken with the very energy and the power of God himself. Now, if it is true that the Lord Jesus Christ will live his life through you here on earth today, as he lived his life once in his own body and earth more than 2,000 years ago, I think it's necessary to discover how he lived then so that you may know how he will live through you. John 6.56. This seems to be some strange language. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, from the context of this passage, we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ has used the expression to eat and to drink as representing to come and believe. It means the same. And to those that come to him and believe in him, they have a unique relationship with him. They dwell in him and he dwells in them. Now, in John 56, 57, it says, As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who eats me 
Now, in the NIV, it says, he who feeds upon me, he who believes in me, he also will live because of me. As he lived by the Father, so you are to live by him. Well, how do, how do we do that? In John 5, 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And then in John, in John 8, 28, so Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. As the Father lived in the Son, so Christ lives in us. Do you see the example? Christ lived in an unbroken dependence upon the Father. He could do nothing apart from his Father. And when you read John 15, we can do no more without Christ than Christ could do without his Father. In Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Yes, it's Christ living in us that brings us the victory in life. It's our dependence upon Christ That sanctifies us. God has made available to you his risen son. To be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. The Bible says that we are sanctified, we are set apart for holy use. And then the Bible says that there is a process of sanctification that will be, that will go on through us in our lifetime. And so that process is Christ dwelling in you. He is sanctifying you. You don't have to sanctify yourself. To be in Christ that makes you fit for heaven, but for Christ to be in you makes you fit for this earth. To be in Christ that changes your destination. But for Christ to be in you, it changes your destiny. One makes heaven your home. The other makes this world his workshop. And what does the Bible say? We are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. Yes, we are seated in the heavenlies, but we have two feet planted here on this earth. And Christ is in us, 
and he's, he, it's all he wants with our consent is to live through us. I don't know about you or where you are in your spiritual life, but I can tell you one thing right now. That I don't care where you are, we're all in the same boat. Christ has come into all of our lives. We have a pure heart. It's an unbelievable heart, really. And God wants to work through you and in you, and he wants to work through your personality because you're the only person like you. There's nobody else like you. And God has come to you, and you have responded. Now God's only desire is to live his life through you That's all he desires. Christ in you, and he wants you to be free to be you. He wants you to be free. Now, in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it's going to be, but therefore, if you have been given, excuse me, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Here it is. The only way to live out your life. I'm going to give you two steps. It's only two. It's not a 12-step program. It's not 10 steps. It's just two steps. If you want to know how to live out your Christian life, I'm going to make it really easy for you. Every morning that you wake up, by believing, admit that you are a child of God that you have a pure heart, that Christ is living in you. Every morning, just admit that, because it's true. And then, be free to be you. Because God wants to work through you. Through your uniqueness, there's nobody like you. And he came to you, and you responded to him. And now his only desire, whatever that personality is, maybe you're shy, doesn't make any difference. Maybe you're outgoing, it doesn't make any difference. Maybe you're just a lot of fun. Maybe you, you like to laugh a lot, or whatever it is. It doesn't make any difference. God wants to work through your personality. He doesn't want you to change your personality. He wants you to work. He wants to work through it because of your uniqueness. The just shall live by faith. Faith that takes God at his word. Faith that simply says, thank you. 
Thank you, God. I like the idea of getting up in the morning, thanking God for the day that he has given, thanking him that he comes, he, he resides in my life, that he only wants the best for me, and that he wants to live his life through me. It's nothing but a big thank you, Lord. We're coming into this week Thanksgiving. And we ought to be thankful in more ways than one that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And we are obedient from the heart because we have a good heart. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for the heart that you have given to us. We're thankful, Lord, that we have this oneness with you. That you are in us, but we are also in you. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful that we are obedient from the heart. We're thankful that you gave us a pure heart. You didn't give us one that had defects in it. You gave us a pure one. And we thank you for the life that we can now live. And we rejoice in the fact that you can even use us in our personality. And so we just invite you to just, we give you our consent to just live your life through us every day of our life. Bless us now, I pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.